0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: And we're back like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we live in? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks over on Fan Nation, part of the Sports Illustrated Network. It's Monday, August 28th, and it is game week for the Oregon Ducks who open up their season, their 2023 season, against the Portland State Vikings at home in Eugene at Odson Stadium. So we're going to be talking about how we define success for oregon football in 2023 and joining me to do that is my good friend friend spencer mclaughlin he is the host of locked on ducks and locked on pac 12. how we doing man
2: we are so ready for football it is almost indescribable but we are going to have football thankfully this saturday and i'm going to be able to watch the whole thing because my southern utah game is on thursday so i'm going to be able to have like a, a true college football Saturday so and and for people who maybe don't know I do play-by-play for Southern Utah University so sometimes I'm kind of like trying to navigate like last year I was watching a lot of and I will this year too like I'm watching the Oregon game while getting ready for the broadcast for for Southern Utah and then I kind of got to just check during commercial breaks and such but game one which will be a win for the Ducks uh, I'll be able to just sit down watch the whole thing react to it live with all of you and I, I, I just I cannot wait
1: it's gonna be a whole bunch of fun so um, yeah if you guys you guys know Spencer by now you know he does an awesome job over on his show um, so go make sure you check him out at locked on Ducks and locked on pack 12 uh, pack four we'll see what we'll see what it's about to be there. the pack
2: two by the way
1: yeah we' we'll with the uh, Cal and Stanford maybe on their way yeah. out it looks like
2: that's how that, that that's how it appears is that sometime this week or early to middle of next week um is what the reporting is indicated and look this stuff is always subject to change but um there is mutual desire from stanford cal and smu and the acc to to join together um which we don't need to go into today that's a that's a whole that's a whole other rabbit hole we're here to talk ducks this is ducks digest not pac-12 digest
1: we are here to talk about the ducks. So we're going to get into that. So just to give you guys a little rundown for today, our plan, we're going to be starting off with a couple of news items, and then we'll talk about what success means for Oregon defining success for Oregon in 2023. Uh, and then we're going to open it up, hopefully to a little bit of a mailbag on the back end of the show. So if you guys are here, uh, in the live chat uh, on YouTube at Oregon football, Max Taurus, go ahead and leave us a comment or a question and we'll do our best to get to it. So, our first item for today's show uh, might be a little bit of uh, injury news, question mark. I mean, we, we still have to see what ultimately comes of this, but I'm sharing my screen right now. Um, Mike Cavanaugh, one of Oregon's offensive line coaches, posted a little picture here uh, with the group, just kind of some team bonding uh, over the weekend, it looks like. And uh, wanted to, what caught my attention was this... Uh, this, uh, this guy right here, Nashad Strother, transfer offensive lineman from East Carolina. He is wearing a sling, and uh, the reports out of Eugene were that he has uh, missed a couple of practices recently. So seemed like uh, we'll get a, an update from Dan Landing, who's supposed to speak with reporters uh, on Monday evening. But, uh, Spencer, it seems like this is a little bit notable uh, heading into the first game of the season.
2: Yeah, I, I'd say so. You know, Strother's not a guy that I necessarily expected Uh, To be a a starter, but certainly a contributor and a depth piece, with the possibility that he could be a a starter going into this season. And you know, we'll we'll have full answers on where everyone lands on the depth chart on on Saturday. I I would think. I don't think Oregon's released their depth chart just yet. Um, That actually should happen probably later today or tomorrow. Everybody else has been releasing theirs ahead of their, uh, their their game one. So. I'm stoked to see, you know, and just beyond intrigued where everyone's going to land and where, uh, you know, how the offensive line gets shuffled. There are a lot of different possibilities and and permutations here. I I really think there are only two spots that I can say with 100% certainty or close to, I don't think I can say 100% any position, but I think there are two spots that I can say with 95% certainty, I know who's going to start there and it's the two tackles. Everything else on the interior, Max, it could go, I think it could go a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, you're probably talking about Josh Connerly at left tackle and the yep. Johnny Cornelius at right tackle. Yep. Uh, I, I had that as well just when I released my uh, predicted uh, depth chart um, last week. So we'll see if anything changes heading into this first week of the season. But Strother, I think, has primarily been working at guard and uh, fall camp so far. And then yeah, like you said, Spencer, this the interior of this offensive line looks like it's a kind of a not not a crapshoot, but it's just hard to get a feel for for where guys are going to be. I, I'm kind of leaning towards Jackson Powers Johnson likely winning that starting center job,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, but we'll see if Marcus Harper gets some gets some snaps there. Uh, and then you also have Junior Angalau from Texas, who has been a joy to listen to in press conferences. If you guys haven't heard from him yet, uh, go ahead and check some of those out on my YouTube channel. Uh, but he's in the mix. Um, and then you also have Steven Jones, who is a veteran on in this group, I think the most experienced guy as far as playing at Oregon. Um, and and um, then you also have Struther. I hope I'm not missing anybody off of that. But uh, yeah, this is a really talented group. And I think um, there, there is a lot of potential for it to be a great group under Alec Terry, who, who comes back to Eugene, after spending some time in the NFL.
2: Yeah, I, I like the Jackson Powers Johnson call from you at center. I think that's the most likely. Um, you know, we we have heard I think rumblings that Marcus Harper is kind of the the backup center going into uh, this year potentially, but that it's most likely going to be JPJ. And I, I think he's very capable and he's a guy who was very close with Alex Forsyth when uh Forsyth was here with the ducks and he was, of course, a, a phenomenal all conference center for for the last couple of years. So I, I like the, the JPJ call there and you know as for the guard slots I mean I, I, Jones was a starter last year but then when he was out Marcus Harper was in and he did more than an admirable job filling in he was good and then you have Junior Angela, who was a four-star recruit four-star transfer a lot of experience coming over from Texas. And then you just toss in a bunch of other names like uh, Anishad Strother perhaps, or does Davey Uli make a jump? He's seen more snaps I think the most Oregon fans would uh, probably realize. But I mean, if I had to go, you know, uh, across my 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 best guess given the Strother injury, I think Jones and Angelau are probably your two starting guards. I think Harper is probably your first Offensive lineman off the bench, uh, Strother would be in there as well. Iuli, uh, Feope, Laluulu is probably your backup left tackle. George Silver, probably your backup at right. Those two could maybe be, be flipped, but Feope I think has had snaps at, at left tackle uh, when when called upon in the last couple of years. So that'd be my best guess. Uh, I think we'll see all these guys and maybe more on, on Saturday against Portland State. Hopefully that game gets out of hand quickly. And without any, any major injuries, but uh, I, I am excited to see this group and, and a lot of other young guys a, as well. You know, on the defensive side of the ball, you talk about the defensive backs who, uh, you know, are, are just filled with young guys all over the place Some running backs. Like, I, I think it'll be a really, really fun game to watch and kind of examine, OK, who who had snaps, who looked good, who did well, who might be, you know, a player for, for the future.
1: Yeah, so we'll hope to get some of those questions answered along the offensive line in particular when the Ducks take the field on Saturday against the Portland State Vikings. So don't want to make too much of this uh, social media picture. Um, I'm sure that Landon will get asked about it, like I mentioned, uh, tonight when uh, he meets with reporters. But certainly something worth uh, monitoring, seeing that he was one of those uh, you know, guys they got out of the portal and, and someone who probably projects to have a, a, a relatively significant role for League Terry and Mike Cavanaugh along the O-line here in 2023. Other news item that we're going to get to to open up today's episode of the Ducks Dish podcast, it's a new week of college football, week one, which means that we have new Heisman odds, uh, courtesy of FanDuel. So, wanted to just hop into these real quick and um, just get get some of our thoughts here, Spencer, on what these odds are uh, looking like. Not anything super surprising. Caleb Williams, uh, the USC quarterback and reigning Heisman Trophy uh, winner, comes in with the highest odds at plus 500. But you got Bo Nix and uh, another Pac-12 quarterback and and Michael Penix Jr. in the mix, narrowly edging out uh, Bo Nix in the odds. But what are we thinking here, man?
2: Best quarterback conference in the country, and it's not even close. That is, I think, pretty unquestionable and undeniable at this point. I mean – you look at uh, are those the top what ten odds guys for for the Heisman preseason and these are uh, all quarterbacks. You've got uh, three from the Pac-12 and, and no other league has has got more than uh, more than two. I, I don't think um, I'm trying to just like live, live tally this up, but I mean it's Pac-12, SEC, Big Twelve, ACC, ACC, independent, uh, Pac-12, from ACC. three from the ACC, but the the lineup of quarterbacks below those top three are much stronger in the pack than in uh, the ACC. I I am curious that there's not a single non-quarterback on here. It is a quarterback world. It's a passing game, football now offensively, but I'd watch out for Blake Corum at Michigan. I I think that's a name in the Heisman right now. The, The problem is he's got a dynamic number two back in Donovan Edwards, but if they unleash Blake Corum, He can be that sort of guy who's the centerpiece. Uh, Like I think he's a more important piece to Michigan than J.J. McCarthy, who I think is good. I don't think he's that good. Like I would not bet J.J. McCarthy to win the Heisman. I would bet everybody else on this list before uh, J.J. McCarthy, and that includes Quinn Ewers, who I'm not particularly high on compared to some other people. But I, I, I think that Corum is a guy that, can be really productive, can be really dynamic, and is going to be on a very, very good football team. And we know that that matters, right? It's always the best player on the best team, uh, usually, unless you have a year like Caleb Williams did last season. I don't think he repeats as the Heisman Trophy winner. I think there are too many talented players in the country for that to happen. Um, But Bo Nix has got a shot. I mean, there's a world Oregon has to make the playoff, but hey, Josh Pate thinks Oregon's making the playoff. So it's not like it's out of the realm of possibility here or that it would be the shocker of all shockers to see Oregon make the playoff in 2023. But I don't think the, a successful season for the ducks has to include Bo Nix being a Heisman finalist, but wouldn't hurt in or <laughs> yeah, no, it wouldn't hurt, but it'd be like a nice cherry on top, but a successful season for, for the ducks looks like getting back to, the, the Pac-12 championship game. I wrote about this over at 7:50. Uh, the game, you can check it out on on the website over there. As I kind of dip my toe into into your world, Max, doing a little a little bit of writing this year, and I I, I think that if Oregon is going or if Bo Nix is going to be a Heisman winner, Oregon has to make the playoff. Like he won't put up the stats that are so absurd that you just uh, he just has to be the best player in college football, like Caleb Williams a year ago. Bo needs the story, Bo needs the team, but the team is capable of doing that. So never say never.
1: Yeah, so just, just to wrap up my thoughts on uh, this these Heisman odds, and then we'll get into some duck talk for you guys today. Um, as far as this list goes, you know, it's not super surprising. I think um, Quinn Ewers is is uh, someone who has a lot of weapons to get involved with in that offense, talking about Xavier Worthy, who is just a freak of a wide receiver. Really fun to watch out there in Austin. Jordan Travis, I think, is certainly worthy of a mention here at plus 1,200 uh, for the Florida State Seminoles, who absolutely loaded up in the transfer portal under Mike Norvell during this uh, offseason. And then Cade Klubnick over at Clemson. I think he's someone who's going to be intriguing to watch following the departure of DJ Uyunglele, who is now the starting quarterback at Oregon State, just up the road from his uh, younger brother Mateo at Oregon uh, and then Club is going to be working with new offensive coordinator Garrett Riley, who comes over from TCU. So I'm I'm super interested to see what they're going to be able to do this year. But uh, it's only week one, so we can't uh, go ahead and crown anybody a Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, finalist or front runner. I guess, I guess Williams is as of right now uh, after beating my beloved San Jose State Spartans. As a San Jose native, but Spencer, let's give the people what they came here for. Uh, We got some folks here in the live chat. Appreciate you guys showing up. Uh, Go ahead and ask us a question for later on in the episode where we're going to get into some mailbag. But what's defined success for Oregon in 2023? And we'll start with a point that you and I, I think, both agree on. You, You touched on it a little bit. I think right now for where Oregon's at, you really have to start this not with a number of wins as far as projecting, but it really does start with getting back to Vegas and getting to the Pac-12 title game. Oregon has too much talent. They have too good of a quarterback and they have a really, really good coaching staff. So I think just let's start it with this and then just kind of pull pull it apart and, and dissect it. I think that to define success for Oregon in 2023, anything short of the Pac-12 title appearance in that game is, uh, is a disappointment.
2: I agree. And I think that, the standard should be getting there now, winning it. I don't know that you can expect that. It's you know, con- context matters when you're talking about winning the Pac 12 championship, but a successful season looks like getting to the conference title game. But and the reason I say that is think about it like this, Max. Let's say Oregon goes 10 and 2, they let's say they lose to Texas Tech but go 8 and 1 in Pac 12 play, and their only loss is to you know, Utah or USC or Washington or somebody, and uh, and they go to the Pac-12 title game and they're playing someone who obviously is really good. It's going to be one of USC, Washington, Utah, Oregon State. So they're playing one of those teams for a second time, I I, I suspect, and they go there and they lose on a last second field goal. Is it like, is that a disappointment? No, I I wouldn't think so. But if you have a repeat of last season where you're a quarter within one quarter of getting to the Pac-12 title game, And then you fail to be able to make adjustments defensively, or you can't get there. But like that was a disappointment. But not getting there again, I like what you said about they've brought in too much talent. Like it's not just a top 10 high school recruiting class, which frankly isn't going to make you know the biggest impact until 2024 and beyond. A couple guys will, but the portal class is also top 10 in the country. Like they went out and got some real pieces there. You you can't look at Oregon's team last year and what we saw on the field and what they've added this off season and say anything, except they have improved on paper. So if you improve on paper, but the results don't get any better, that's why I define not getting the conference title game for a second straight year after they have done it each of the previous three seasons, really two, but each of the, each of the past couple seasons going into last year, that's why I define that as an unsuccessful season, because you want to see improvement growth, right? Dan Lanning had a good first year, but it wasn't great. And what you want to see from a young first time head coach is the same thing you want to see from any program. You want to see progress. You want to see. and look, Oregon had a harder, had a higher starting point than some programs like a Mike Norvell at Florida State, for instance, started at a lower spot and has built it up, up, up their preseason top 10 this year, they had a 10 win season, right? 10-win season for Oregon last year didn't feel the same as a 10-win season for Florida State. So I think that you want to see the progress there. Give yourselves a chance to win the the conference title and go out there and give it your best swing. But if they were to go out in the Pac-12 championship game and then have a repeat of 2021, yeah, that would be a disappointment because you have the talent on your roster on both sides of the ball to be competitive with anybody in this league. And, And I can live with it's not fun, but I can live with competitive losses. I can't live with uncompetitive losses. That's why 2021 was such a disappointment. It's like, wow, we beat Ohio State, but then we got trounced by Utah, not once, but twice. Like that that was a big letdown. And Oregon's gonna have to avoid the letdown this year because that's what they've had each of the last two seasons. Lose two of your final three uh conference games last year to your rivals in games that you should have won. Twenty twenty-one, lose two two weeks. Uh, or, or lose twice in a three-week span against Utah in blowout fashion, and not ever really come close to a Pac-12 championship. So that's what I think the next step needs to be: is by the end of the year, Oregon has to be able to be competitive and play their their best football or or close to it.
1: Yeah. So what, let's unpack that a little bit. Talking about the the conference title game, L- looking back to last year in particular, why didn't Oregon make it to the conference title game? Well, couldn't make adjustments. The, the, the hinges. Things came off in that Washington game when Bo got hurt. Uh, I think that's kind of like a freak accident type of a deal. But hey, you got to be accountable and you got to have uh, a quarterback that's ready to go in at any moment's notice. And then they got trounced in the second half, I guess, at least in in the trenches by Oregon State. But you win those games and you are in the Pac-12 title game. You you guys know how that works. So it's just not had even- to win.
2: Just had to win one of them, by the way
1: sure sure but they were both incredibly winnable that was the point i was making oh yeah Um, they should have
2: won both games they had a the espn win percentage that gets tracked in the app oregon was a 90 percent or greater chance to win both of those games to lose both of those games statistically by by that particular metric which i'm sure is not completely perfect but is indicative of where oregon was at in those games to lose those games was about a one percent chance
1: Exactly. Yeah. So you're you're making my point for me right there, Spencer. So I think it's it's kind of a two part thing I want to talk about here. It's it's not even just that Oregon needs to be able to finish games uh, in the 2023 season. I think that's going to be a big part uh, of what makes them successful and kind of the part of the gap that we see between the good teams and the great teams. Being able to finish games, not let your opponent stick around. Uh, I'm thinking about the Cal game last year, uh, 42 to 24. You know, I don't think that was a, a crazy close game, but I was at that one and I was like, dang, they're kind of sticking around for a little bit here. Um, so like that should have been a, a pretty, you know, decisive win in, in my eyes. And then just building off of that, not only do you have to be able to finish games, finish the season, fin- finish, your schedule. And I think back to the, the 2021 season when there were no adjustments uh, from, from Mario Cristobal and that coaching staff and just mirror images of each other for those two games. Um, you, you cannot let that happen again, when, when, as the season drags on Spencer, and you're getting to those games that are more and more important, that's when you need to be shining. You can't be, you can't be tensing up and, and, you know, worried about the limelight and the spotlight. And I think to do that, Dan Landing's going to need to just show some, some more growth as a head coach. I'm not trying to be critical of him, but you know, you just got to prove yourself, prove to everyone that you are an asset as a head coach. Because clearly Mario Cristobal did not do that when things kind of fell off at the end of the 2021 season. There was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there was all the smoke around the coaching rumors. Uh, Oregon doesn't have to deal with that right now. So I think that that was kind of a lot that I threw at you. But finishing games and then you know finishing your schedule, like winning those games that you're supposed to win, and you know win when it counts late down the down the stretch.
0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash blue wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: Yeah, I, I agree. And I, I think that when you look at Oregon's schedule this year, there are some really tough games, but it actually breaks in a more favorable fashion than last year because they had to play Washington, Utah and Oregon State in a three week span. And you look back and go, okay, that's three teams that ended the season with 31 combined wins, right? Utah had 10, Oregon State had 10, Washington had 11. So this year they don't have a back-to-back gauntlet sort of deal because they play USC, then they play Arizona State. And then they play Oregon State, right? And having it's not like there are any weeks off, but there are easier matchups for the Ducks. And, and I think that last year their schedule got a little bit front loaded. There was the UCLA game in there, but you had all those tough games clumped together, and it was your last three of, of the season. And and I really wonder if you know the Washington game is earlier in the year, or if the Utah game is is earlier in the year if those games don't go differently. I mean, Oregon ended up beating Utah, of course, but Bo Nix was severely hobbled. Why? Because he had to be in a situation against a good team in Washington the week prior where we were relying on him to use his legs. That introduces an element of risk. He gets hurt and it wasn't the same. So I I just think that that's a a break for the Ducks schedule-wise. Now, They have three really hard road games this year. And if they win two of them, they're doing great. I don't know that they will because of the caliber of teams they'll be playing. But if they beat two of Texas Tech, Washington, and Utah, all of which are on the road, that's going to be a team that is likely good enough to get to the Pac-12 championship game and win it. Because those are all... And I, I say this all the time on my show. Do not for one millisecond overlook texas tech oh no. that is a good football team they are talked about as a dark horse in the big 12. they were an eight win team a year ago they beat ole miss out of the sec when tyler shuck our old buddy has started and finished the game at quarterback he is 8-0 as a red raider he has developed into what he never was able to at oregon and that is a solid fairly consistent, not incredible, but a solid starting quarterback at the power five level. So you're going to face a good team with momentum and what looks like a good coach, a capable quarterback and a tough road environment. There's nothing about that that screams automatic Oregon victory. We're only a three point favorite for a reason. And I know being a favorite on the road is you know still indicative of, hey, the betting markets think Oregon's the better team here. And if this were at Autzen, the line would probably be closer to to seven or eight but it's in Lubbock it's going to be tough I'm really glad again in scheduling break that we have Portland State before we play Texas Tech I didn't like opening with Georgia last year just like I didn't like opening with Auburn in 2019 I think if we have a game to get you know kind of work the kinks out and everything in 2019 I think we beat Auburn we outplayed them for three and a half quarters but we just weren't quite firing on all cylinders and as a result we ended up dropping that game, which stunk. But I, I, I think that Oregon is, has got the schedule that is good enough to where if they, you know, go one loss or run the table, they're in the college football playoff, but it's also tough enough to where you have to expect that. I don't I don't see a perfect season here. I, I think the ceiling is 11-1, um, but I think the floor is certainly a single-digit win season. I, I don't think it's, you know, 10 wins is a baseline. Um, I, I think the schedule has got some breaks but there are some really, really good football teams that they're going to play this season.
1: Yeah, there, there's one thing that we can definitely say, Spencer, it's that Oregon's going to be battle-tested, I think, this season if, in the event that they do get to the playoff. Um, I think that that's obviously a huge part of the resume, right, is, is strength of schedule and you know what you're able to do. And I think a big part of how we're going to define success this year, maybe not a huge part, but one that I'm kind of growing more passionate about and more interested in, you kind of got to it a little bit talking about kind of some of their, their uh, stretches here is winning on the road. I think that is, is very indicative of a a strong program. I think the game that really showed me that this Dan Lanning team is capable of winning on the road last year was that game against Washington state. Uh, I think that was one that was really encouraging and, you know, showed me that he has a good handle on this team when they were able to go out to Pullman and pull out a 44, 41 win Mace Funa had that pick six that really kind of sealed the deal. Um, but like you said, they, they do have some really tough games where they have to hit the road uh, out to Lubbock. I think that's one, one that uh, should not be taken lightly at all. Um, I think that's kind of the growing narrative as we head into the start of the season for Oregon. But also going on the road out to your neck of the woods, uh, out in Utah to face uh, the, the back-to-back Pac-12 champions and Kyle Whittingham and the Utah Utes. Um, that's a game that should be circled every year. Um, and, and just talking about those games, going out to Seattle, we haven't even talked about going out to the desert to face Kenny Dillingham and the the Sun Devils, um, whose one one year self imposed bowl ban was uh, an interesting development over the weekend. But we don't have to get into that. I'm just talking about how important it is to to win on the road. I think that's the mark of a good team because a good team can can play their best football wherever they're at. We already know that Oregon can do really good things at home in Austin stadium. But I think it means just a little bit more when you can do it in uh you know, a hostile environment when you're under the bright lights, you're, you're playing some of these primetime games. Um So I, I think that's an interesting element to look into it. I don't think it's a make or break one, but to me, part of how what's going to define success for Oregon in 23 is how they're able to do, on the road when they go out to Lubbock when they go out to Salt Lake City and when they go out to Seattle because those are going to be some tough games and they're not places that are easy to win at
2: yeah they are tough and I think that the the true measure of a team is how can you be away from home because if you're only good at home then you can't just you know look at your schedule and say well every tough road game is going to end up being a loss and I think in conference play. You look at the Washington and the Utah games. We've talked about Texas Tech uh, as well. Those are going to be really, really good barometers. I, 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 I'm I, excited for the Tech game on, on, on multiple fronts. Number one, I think it's going to be a really fun, entertaining football game. Number two, I respect Texas Tech. I, I think they're a solid brand Uh, that is doing a good job with their coach, Joey McGuire, going into his second season as well, trying to build on the momentum that, that he captured last year for the Red Raiders. And number three, it's going to give us an idea of how good Oregon can be this year. Because if we go in there and we scrape out a win, then we'll be feeling like, okay, this team can win games, but we're definitely not running the table here. But if we go in and we lose by ten, then it's like, okay, something's something's off, and you know, changes got to be made to the scheme or so. Like they they better start playing better football, or this could get ugly in the Pac-12 compared to what our, our standards and expectations are. But if we go in there and we win by two touchdowns, then we'll be coming out feeling okay. That's a good football team that we just beat on the road by two scores. I I don't know that that will happen. I think Oregon can win the game absolutely, but if they go in there and they you know, are, are really in control for basically the entire game, and then they walk away with a two touchdown 17-point win, then I'd feel, okay, now it's Pac-12 title or bust because that's what the team is is clearly capable of. So I, I liked it. They have that game early in the year. It also gives them an opportunity to play a tough road game before they have to play a couple notable ones in conference, right? If Texas Tech was at home and you didn't really have a tough road game until you went at Washington in week seven after the bye, I don't know that I like that as much, but having that texas tag game i think is really important i, I think it's really good and, and should be fun and I'm, I'm excited for it to get here and it's just it's next saturday max
1: it is it is um yeah i, I like the point that you were getting at and i was kind of thinking here as we talk about road games and and oregon having to go out to lubbock i, I really feel like it kind of gives me a little bit of a sense of balance when you're looking at last year's schedule in the non-con versus this year I think you see that Portland State game and you're like, wow, great, great job, Oregon. You're scheduling Portland State. Um, but those games are important, right? Because you just said it yourself, you know, what if Oregon did have a tune-up game before they faced Auburn? I think the really good teams, maybe you can make the argument they wouldn't need or shouldn't need a tune-up game, but I think that that's still something that you'll take, right? You're not going to pass up on that. So the fact that they have that tune-up game, they're able to go on the road to, to kind of just see what things are like, see how this team responds in, in that kind of environment, going out to the Lone Star State. And football is like religion out there. Everybody knows that. Um, I certainly felt that vibe when I was out there for the Adidas All-American Bowl in uh, in January. But, yeah, lo- love that they have that road game to, to get tested a little bit and you come back home to face Hawaii before you kick things off with the Pac-12 slate against uh, Coach Prime and, and the Buffs. We've been talking about some big picture, kind of more general or broad uh, items, but I want to hone in here a little bit before we get to the mailbag portion of our show. We're getting some some uh, questions in the live chat, so appreciate you guys that have already done that and, and asked some questions. Keep them coming. Spencer and I will do as much as we can to a- answer those. Let's talk about the defense, because in my mind, I think that the defense needs to take a sizable leap from year one to year two under Dan Lanning in order for Oregon to have a successful season. Uh, You're looking at the pass rush, which is going to be heavily involved with Jordan Birch, Mateo Uyunglele, Mace Funa, guys like that, Popo Amavai. Um, I think that all those guys, Brennan Dorliss, they're going to play a huge role. But let's just talk just about how this defense has so much talent, under-delivered last year, but if they can take a good step forward and kind of show us like, they're not going to be the Georgia defense of 2021, right? Or maybe even 2022. But if they can just capture some of that fire, Spencer, some of what made Dan Lanning special, what made him such an attractive head coaching candidate for Rob Mullins, I just think that if they can capture some of that and and look more like the 2019 Oregon defense, then you're in a pretty good spot and you're you're in a good shape to to really be competitive and make some noise this year.
2: Well, the 2019 defense would be outstanding because that's probably the best defense, at least statistically, Oregon has had in the last uh, 15, 20 years. I mean, I can't think of a unit that was as good as that one. I mean, their their stats were really, really good, and, and their personnel was really, really good. So I, I think that would be pretty outstanding for the Ducks, given what we know they have offensively assuming will stein is as good of a coordinator as uh we we suspect he is capable of of being then i think that'll be you know more than enough at 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 that end or on that side of the ball and if the defense can be can be good and you know we saw the other day i don't know were were you there when lanning was not not uh too keen on answering more questions about the defense
1: uh well I mean I wasn't in Eugene, but are you talking oh, about okay. just the, the recent press release? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, no. Yeah. I mean he's he's, he's he's bottled up. He's real bottled up. Yeah,
2: yeah, he is. And I think understandably so. And, and I think that, that that feeling from him is, is twofold. I, I think it's um I think it's on the one hand he is tired of answering questions about it. And I think on the other hand as well. He wasn't happy with how the defense performed last year. And I've gotten this question in the mailbag on my show before, and I think it's an interesting thought. Did Dan Lanning go for it on fourth down as often as he did last year because he trusted his offense and he didn't trust his defense? Maybe. I I, I think that's a possibility. I think there is an element of young coaches tend to be very aggressive going for it on fourth down, but... I also think that if you trusted your defense more, you probably would punt against Washington if you'd been able to get stops. But guess what? We couldn't stop Washington. And for some reason, we weren't able to stop Oregon State either. And there's no excuse for that, but it was the reality of the situation. So I wonder if that doesn't change a a little bit going into 2023, if the defense does end up being better. Uh, Like I said earlier, they've improved on paper. I think their defensive line is much deeper. Do not undersell the return of Popo Amavai. That's a really, really good player up front if he's fully healthy. Birch needs to make an impact. I think Mace Funa can have another really nice, solid season. And I think that Mateo Uyangalele is someone who can be one of the better pass rushers Oregon's had in the last you know, 10, 15 years. So if you're able to get a top 40, just a top 40 defense, you don't need to go top 20. If you got a top 40 defense and a top 10 to 20 offense, and Oregon was, I think top, I think they were sixth last year, depending on which stat you were looking at, scoring, um, yards per game, whatever. They, they they were top 10 nationally last year. If you replicate your offensive production, which they're capable of doing, and you bring the defense from, you know, it was 73rd in the country in yards per game last year, and you bring that up to like in the 30 to 40 range, I think this is at least a 10 win football team. But that's an if because there's more to football than just personnel, right? It is more about the Jimmies and the Joes than the Xs and the Os, but the Xs and the Os still matter because Oregon, I, I was disappointed with what the defense looked like a year ago and how it performed because I thought that bringing in Dan Lanning and bringing in, you know, a, a guy like Tosh Lupoy with that sort of pedigree, the defense should have been able to improve from 2021. They didn't. They lost Kayvon Thibodeau. They couldn't get pressure on the quarterback. They were, re- they were really good against the run, to be fair, but they were really bad against the pass. And I was expecting and hoping that they would be able to bring a schematical approach or a schematic approach that would have improved the unit that was there. And so I'm willing to give now in the transfer portal era a one year amount of leeway for that. But going in a year two, we need to see some substantial steps forward. Or else you have to ask questions about coaches, and you have to ask questions about whether or not we, you know, can can have hope that a great defense can can be assembled here because they have they have had all the tools. I, I think year three is like the true pop year for the defense. That's my prediction because Mateo will be in year two. All those defensive linemen that got recruited, they'll be going into year two. You'll have a lot of defensive backs with a lot of talent and promise as well. But year two here should should show some, some huge substantial growth. And then year three is when they should be able to, at least in my view, build a, a pretty dominant unit. So I I'm more than intrigued because we've been talking about it for so long to see what it looks like, to see how it feels compared to last year. But the biggest thing is starts on the defensive line. They've got to be able to get pressure on the quarterback.
1: Yeah. And there's reason to think they're going to be able to do that. You talked about the the people that they brought in and, and the coaches just as far as why they kind of came up short last year. It was just a head scratcher. Having Dan Lanning and Tosh LePoy, uh, that was those are the two of the heavy, heavy hitters in defense when you're talking about college football. I think Lanning obviously has more of the X's and O's pedigree versus I think a lot of people tend to look at LaPoy as as just a recruiter, which he clearly isn't, but I think, you know, I think he has maybe more of that room to grow compared to Lanning. Um, when we're just looking at what we're going to get from Oregon. Well, and- I think
2: he's definitely defined himself in college football as a recruiter first.
1: That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. Cause he's a high level recruiter, Tosh Lupoy. But when he was at Alabama as a defensive coordinator, Nick Saban in the middle of the year stripped him of defensive play calling duties. And then he was no longer in that position and he went off to the NFL for a while. So. You know He hadn't been in D.C. in a little while, maybe just need another year, but I, I'm curious about the Chris Hampton hire. I wonder how involved he is in the defensive game plan and play calling because I think a guy like that might have been able to get a full-time defensive coordinator job at a school bigger than Tulane or maybe get a raise out of Tulane, but he decided to come to Oregon. I suspect – have no inside info here. I'm just guessing. I suspect Chris Hampton is going to uh, – you know, truly at least truly be a co-defensive coordinator coordinator. If not perhaps the defensive play caller.
1: Yeah, we will, we will see. I I tend to think that if, if landing isn't calling plays, then then it would make sense to, to, you know, give Hampton a shot at it. Um, I wish
2: landing would call plays,
1: but we'll see. I mean, that's, that's a question that we're never going to get an answer to. I feel like, Um, but, but we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, as the season kind of unwinds just to kind of wind down a couple, a little bit of, you know, our talk back and forth before we get some mailbag, Spencer, I think that the expectations for Oregon's defense clearly grow because of the guys that they brought in from the portal. That also I think helps close the gap in terms of what you need to take that next step. If you're just adding better proven players from the portal, I think that they're able to kind of accelerate that process. But that being said, it's still a defense that has to have that chemistry. They have to, you know, learn how to play to each other's strengths. You can't just get great players and expect to have an amazing defense Sure, it helps a heck of a lot, but you, it takes time to, to gel and get to that, you know, product that you want on the, end the, on the field at the end of the day. Um, so the defense is, is definitely going to be an interesting group to, to monitor. They have all the talent in the world to kind of take that next step in their evolution.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?